The Bible says that, tells us you will, you shall know the truth, shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. It will, the knowledge of truth will make you free. Not just hearing about the truth, not just being acquainted with the truth, but knowing the truth. And the way we come to know truth is through His Word. Amen. Scripture says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So there are many people that the Bible describes that are destroyed. They're destroyed because of or for the lack of knowledge. When you have a knowledge, you know truth, then you are in essence being equipped to live above the attack, the destructive attack of the enemy. So our our greatest weapon is a knowledge of the Word of God. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. So if we can get His word alive in our heart and we have this knowledge of the word, then we will live a life that is overcoming and a life that is discipled. So we love the move of the Spirit. We love the visitations that happen. But we also desire for the word of God to find a lodging place in all of our lives. Because when this moment is over and our service comes to an end, we have to walk out the door and we have to live the other days of the week in an overcoming fashion. And we do that through a knowledge of the Word of God. So when it comes time for the preached Word of God, we ought to be excited because we know we're going to be equipped, we're going to be helped, we're going to be lifted up walk out with the ability, Andrew, to live in a way that is pleasing to God. Amen? Amen. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to the book of Acts. Turn with me to the book of Acts, the third chapter. Keith, good to have you here all the way from Florida to see my wife and I. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming and Hanging out with us for a couple of days. Amen. Acts, the third chapter, verse 1 says, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer. I'm going to read 11 verses, so stay with me. But as I read through this, I want to point out a couple of things. I'm not sure if I'll get through all of this today or not. And so I want to highlight things as we go, just in case I don't get back to them today. Notice that it says, Peter and John went up together. Shout together. There's something about being together. They went together into the temple at the hour of prayer. It was an appointed time, and it was a specific location, and they went together. Being the ninth hour, and a certain man... Now the story takes on uh, a different note here, highlights an individual. A certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. The The whole reason the man was laying there 
outside of the temple by this beautiful gate was to ask alms. It was a matter of survival for him. Shout survival. survival. He was at a place where the only way he knew how to survive was to be laid by this beautiful gate outside of the temple. And he was laid there in order to ask for help. Help in the area of alms. Who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, ask an alms. He, he asked them for help. Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. This is a significant moment in the story. Peter said, look at us. I mean, I don't know how many hundreds of people came in and out of that gate on a daily basis. But I know at that moment, out of all of those that this man had encountered on that particular day, Peter said, look at us. Don't, don't, don't just think we're another individual or individuals of generosity, but look on us. There was something beyond the normal exchange of money and compassion that was going to transpire here. And we see that when Peter highlights this of looking, and he did. He looked on them, and it says he expected, he looked expecting to receive. And Peter said, silver and gold have I none. What a letdown. You know, he builds this moment up. Look at us. Like, oh, and this guy could be thinking, this, I, I just won the $900 million jackpot. And they're going to help me. And, and my life is, is forever going to be changed. Look at us. And the guy is expecting, and Peter said, I don't have what you're looking for. <laughs> Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. I don't have what you're looking for, but I have what you need. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. Peter said, I have what you need. It's one thing to tell people you have what they need. It's another thing to actually assist them in gaining what they need. Peter called on the name of the Lord, and he did not do that just at a distance. Well, I'll pray for you, brother. So many people don't want to get their hands dirty, Cindy. And they'll say, well, I'll pray for you. I have what you need, but I'll be praying for you. Peter reached down. God help us to be those kind of people. That, that, that don't just talk about something, but actually do whatever it is. He reached down and he takes the man by the right hand and he lifts him up. God Help us to be those kind of people that lift others up. Not leave them in their situation or push them down, but took him by the right hand, the Bible said, and he lifted him. Look at your neighbor and say, thank God for that lifting. Huh? That somebody, I know it was love that lifted us, and, and maybe Karen will put that on our Wednesday our Wednesday worship. Love lifted me 
love lifted me when nothing else could help love lifted me love lifted me love lifted me from nothing else could help Love lifted me. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained with sin, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry. From the waters lifted me, safe am I. Love. See, we wouldn't even be where we are right now if someone had not reached to us. He reaches down, the Bible said. It's, it's significant. And he lifts him, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he which set for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. They saw what happened to this man. And the crowd could not stay at a distance. They had to come to where the miracle had transpired. Tell your neighbor, say, some rules are meant to be broken. I'm glad all the kids are in Sunday school. And I'm glad all the students are in their class. Because I wouldn't want any of you to be upset with me when I tell your children that some rules are meant to be broken. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Amen. Now, I gave you the title, but don't jump to conclusions. Stay with me or you're going to miss the point. Of the, of the sermon. Thank you, Claudia. Exodus, Exodus 25 and verse 22 says this, And there, speaking of a particular place, I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat. He said, My intended place to meet with you is above the mercy seat. So, if you, if you ever intend on encountering God, you will encounter God at the place of mercy. 
Oh, thank God for that wonderful truth that we have. Anybody ever needed mercy in your life? He said, that's exactly where I will commune with you. And he said, from between the two cherubims which are upon the ark of the testimony, of all things which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. Amen. Napoleon, the illustrious Frenchman, military genius, his his tomb, the tomb of the emperor, is at the dome of the best way I know how to say it without butchering the French language and putting it into English terms is at the place of the invalids. If you were to travel there in Paris, uh, you you would see that he was put into this building that before the Eiffel Tower was erected, it was the tallest the tallest uh, structure in in uh, Paris. He remains there and has not been moved since somewhere around 1840 when they retrieved his body from an island in the Atlantic and brought him to this resting place. And after some 20 years or 21 years of construction was was placed there and millions of mourners and tourists alike have visited this tomb of Napoleon at that particular site. We went, our family went a few years ago and I I was denied access <laughs> to uh, the dome. They, they would not let me in to to that wonderful place. We were covering about 25,000, I'm not exaggerating, we were covering about 25,000 steps a day uh, in order to see all of the historical places of the City of Lights that we could. We were there a few days and we were taking everything in and one of the last stops was we had to get to Napoleon's tomb and see that. And we were on the other side of town and we were hurrying to get across uh, the city so we could go view this. And as we were arriving, the ticket, the ticket office closed for the day. It's, it's open about seven hours a day from, from ten or so to five. And that is from, I believe, October all the way through March or so, it's open until 5 o'clock. But from April through September, it's open until 6 o'clock. And uh, this location is only closed three days out of the year. It's closed on January the 1st, it's closed on May the 1st, and it's closed on December the 25th. So if you ever plan on going, make sure that uh, you don't go on one of those days and you don't miss the times that are there. So we hurry across town and we get to uh, where we were gaining access and and the ticket office was closed. Now, there were seven of us, our five, and uh, two of my nephews were traveling together and, and, and we wanted to see Napoleon's 
tomb. And so Lisa and a few of the others were fortunate enough to talk to someone and they were given unused tickets from another family that had already been out and they were leaving and they noticed we were on the outside and so they only had a few tickets and they passed them on to us and and I said oh, I'll just stay out here and so I was outside while my family was inside on the other side of the world disappointed that I did not get to go in and see Napoleon's tomb. And so I was sitting on the stairs outside as other people were coming uh, in and out and talking about how wonderful it was. And, and, I, and, and you know, I'm getting... Tina, it's just things are boiling inside of me now. All these people have enjoyed this. They've traveled from around the world. I'm sitting outside. My family's inside. I don't have a ticket. And I'm like, man, I don't know if I'll ever, Michael, ever get back. And I'm out here. And it's open. The problem was the ticket office wasn't open to sell me a ticket. What am I going to do? And so I, I, I'm just kind of sitting there huh, with no access. Look at your neighbor and say, Pastor had no access. <laughs> it was open, but the issue was I didn't have a ticket. And that, that can be a problem. <laughs> so um, some passerby was talking about how great it was. I thought I would try what my wife tried. Maybe they had an extra ticket. My family's inside. They had somehow commandeered their way in through tickets. And I thought, well, maybe this family. I said, hey, you guys have any tickets? They looked at me like I was crazy. And they said, yeah, we have tickets. And I said, great, let me have your ticket. So they handed me their ticket. And uh, I thought, well, I'm going to give this a try. Who knows? It may or may not work. And so I walk up to the door. And when I get there, security is waiting on us. And I hand them the ticket that someone out in the uh, street had just given me. And they run it through the scanner. And uh, immediately in the beautiful French accent and words, they said to me, deny, decline, decline. Denied. And I looked at them, all in their security suits and <laughs> weapons of mass destruction and all, and I said, thank you, and walked straight through the gate. <laughs> and the man, the security, they're just staring at me. Like, who is this stupid American? Does he not understand? Declined means you can't get in. But I made my mind up. I didn't travel that many thousands of miles to sit outside on the stairs mad at my family because I couldn't get in. And it wasn't my problem that the ticket office wasn't open. So I walked on in anyway. I said, thank you. Walked right in. Uh, and I saw Napoleon's tomb. Some rules <laughs> are meant to be broken. I don't know. I don't know if that guy's still scratching his head. Like, what did I say that he didn't? <laughs> he didn't understand. Decline. <laughs> Denying. No. Oh yeah. No, Kawena. Thank you. See, man. I, I just. I, I don't know. I just said thank you. Walked in and enjoyed the whole scene. Look at your neighbor and say, "That's my pastor." 
Amen. That, that really is. It happened and we laughed the rest of the trip about it and here we are four or five years later still laughing about uh, walking in and uh, refusing to be denied. The temple was the holiest of all locations in Bible times. You did not arrive or come to a more holy, sacred, special place than the temple. Its history was and is deeply rooted in the beginnings of the tabernacle. Just recently read a book about it again and have been inspired about how significant that location truly, truly is. It was the foundation of Israel's worship, their public worship, their sacrifice, their consecration to God, even their connection with God. It all surrounded the tabernacle that ultimately became the temple. It was the sacred meeting place between God and man, His people. In fact, it was God that told Moses in Exodus 25-22 that I read a few moments ago to you. He said, and there, and there I will meet with thee. At that place, at that location, I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat and from between the two cherubims which are upon the ark of the testimony of all things which I give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. He said, you will hear from me and you will encounter me and you will engage with me right there and I will give you direction about your about the people and the way they should go. And so the scripture clearly describes this place as the meeting place. It was several chapters later in the 33rd chapter of Exodus in verse 7. Moses, the Bible said, took the tabernacle and pitched it without the camp, afar off from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of the congregation. And it came to pass that everyone which sought the Lord, here we are, every person that wanted to encounter God, every person that, as the Scripture said, wanted to seek the Lord, sought the Lord, went out unto the tabernacle of the congregation. If they wanted to be close with Him, they had it to go to the tabernacle. Because He said, that's where I will meet you. And so they would go, which was without the camp. So the demands around this and the expectation surrounding this place uh, and what transpired there, the demands and expectations, they were non-negotiable. It was God's way or no way. It was approach me this way in that location or you don't approach me at all. And this is what He expected and this is what He demanded of them. It's interesting in Leviticus, a point that I raised to you today. In the NIV version, verse 21 and 18 says this, No man who has any defect may come near. He's talking about those demands and those expectations. No man with a defect can come near. No man who is blind or lame, disfigured or deformed. So there was no access for those type of individuals into this place. This is, this is what God expected of 
the priest. This is what God expected of those that if you came, you had to come, if you will, in wholeness. It's interesting that uh, David, King David, he said in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 5, verse 6 through 8, And the king and his men went to Jerusalem unto the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who spoke to David, saying, You shall not come in here, but the blind and the lame will repel you. David is going back to recapture the place, Jerusalem if you will. And the Jebusites have taken control. And they say to David and his men, you can't overthrow us. You can't come back to Jerusalem. You can't find a way into what we would call the palace. You can't come here. Even our blind and our lame will defeat you. We'll we'll put a force out of those who have handicaps, if you will, and you won't be strong enough to defeat even those with handicaps. That's what the Jebusites are saying to David and his men. Don't, Don't even think about coming here. David cannot come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion. That is the city of David. Now David said on that day, David said, I don't care what you're saying, we're coming back to Jerusalem and we're going to gain our rightful place and you're not going to stop us with your threats and your humiliation. And so David said, whoever climbs up by way of the water shaft and defeats the Jebusites, the lame and the blind who are hated by David's soul, he shall be chief and captain. Therefore they say, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. So David was saying, because of what the Jebusites said to us, that no blind and no lame will ever be able to come into the palace because of the threat that was given to us. And David said, if you'll go up by the water shaft and those that traveled to with us to Israel a couple of years ago, you will know we went to the city of David and we saw that water shaft and some of us walked through portions of that to get to where uh, we could see some of the things that are unearthed now and the finds that are amazing at the city of David. All of this is where is what I'm talking about. And he said, in the palace, we're going to take this back but because of the threat that was used, the blind and the lame will have no seat there and have no access there. Yet, yet, the same king, the same David, the same individual gave an invitation to a man by the name of Mephibosheth in 2 Samuel 9 to come and eat at his table. And this man was crippled. This man's feet were deformed and lame because he was dropped as a child when his caregiver, the nursemaid, was trying to carry him away in the middle of an attack. She dropped him and his feet were deformed and he was crippled from a child. But when David now is in this place of authority... He says, is there anybody in the family of Saul that I can show kindness to? And they came back after searching around and they say, well, Saul's son, Jonathan, has a son 
But that son that's still alive has deformities in his life. And you said, no blind and no lame can come into the palace. Some rules are meant to be broken. He said, go get him and bring him to my table. Hallelujah. Oh, I thank God that some things that would have kept us out, some things that would have put us at a distance, some things that would have never allowed us to gain access, that we can walk in and say, thank you very much, I think I'll go on in anyway. He brings, he brings this young man to the table, and if you read the story, the young man and his family had, had access at the king's table from there on out. It was not just a one-time meal. It was from there on out. Thank God that when He extends mercy to us, it isn't just a one-time deal, but He intends on covering us and helping us from that moment forward, and He will always be there for us. That's the God that we serve. And somehow, in our minds, we have to understand that's how He operates. So this should give us some insight into the why uh, that the disciples were uh, encountering a man, if you will, with some special needs just outside of the temple. Why was this man laying out there? Because of the things that I've just gone through with you. He wasn't granted access into the temple. So as as close as he could get was by the gate outside of the temple, and he was taken there day after day, and he was laid at this place watching people come and go. The great traffic that came in and out of the temple continually. And he sees not only the people going in, but he also sees the opportunity to uh, acquire assistance there. And that people that are going to this religious place would also be generous enough to help him to get along in life. And so he's laid there day after day. And I know that circumstances are different in the day that we live in, but it is, it is alarming to me. And at the same time, it's startling from time to time. When, when I see the homelessness and I see the mentally distraught and the people that are existing, if you will, just near some of the greatest places of help that there has ever been. Some of the greatest places of breakthrough that there has ever been when it comes to medicine and assistance and on and on. You don't have to walk very far to find the homeless and the mentally distraught right there literally within eye shot of some of the greatest assistance and help that the world has ever known. That's going on in our world right now. That's happening right now. A few years ago, uh, my family and I saw some people laying under a bridge and living there. It set up camp under a bridge right beside one of the largest homeless missions in Los Angeles. We literally were in sight of one of the largest homeless uh, uh, missions and efforts and endeavor in one of the biggest cities in our entire world. And right there at a bridge, not far from the doors of one of the greatest places of assistance, there was a passel of people laid up under bridges with their cardboard and their shopping carts and their tattered clothes and all of their things laying in the street. 
It's, 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 it's the same thing. It's the same thing that I'm reading to you out of the Scripture today. A man is laid as close as he can get to his help. But somehow, his situation never changes. Somehow, it's, it's always the same. And, and, and I say, could it be that, that, that they don't feel welcome? Could it be that they've been told, this is not for you? Can never change? Deal with your issue? But no, it will never be any more than what it is right now. I think some people in our world just think that there's no possibility for change. There's no help for them. There's no way out for them. There's, there's no answer for them. They're not sure if they would even be welcome in a place like that. The possibility for them to live a different life maybe is not so at all. What about the Syrophoenician woman in Mark the 7th chapter who shows up and she begins to plead with the Lord. Hey, my daughter is grievously vexed with a devil and I know you can do something about it. And the disciples, the representation of the Lord say, send her away, get her out of here. You don't belong here. What is to be given is to be given to the house of Israel, not to you. And she comes back, but hey, wait a minute. Even the dogs can get the crumbs that fall from them. I'm desperate about this. I'm, I'm desperate about something. I know the rules. I, I know what it's supposed to be, but I, I'm not willing. I'm not willing to stay in the condition that I'm in. I'm not willing to stay outside of what I can have. I, I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what it sounds like. There's something inside of me that says, my daughter needs a miracle, and I'll take a crumb if all I can gain, if all I can get is a crumb. You don't have to give me the meal. You don't have to give me the best of the best. Just give me something that I can hold on to. Some, some rules are meant to be broken. Amen. She refused to let the rejection of the disciples. She refused to let the, the, the rudeness and the rule, if you will, and the barrier to stop her from gaining this miraculous deliverance for her daughter. And when it's all said and done, Jesus declares... I have not seen such great faith in all of Israel. He said, I haven't even seen. I haven't seen people with that kind of faith, with that kind of desire that say, break the rules for me, but I'm not leaving until something happens. I am so tired. You hear me? Some rules are meant to be broken. And she refused to be pushed aside. She refused to be cast away. She refused to be ignored. She just kept on. She just kept on. God help us to be those kind of people that just keep on when it's said, when, when we hear no and not now and not for you and no possibility that we say, but wait a minute. Wait a minute. I know that all things are possible. I know. I know my Redeemer lives. I know there's a way out of this. I know there's a situation that can change in my favor and on my behalf. So they encounter this man. He's asking alms of them and he hears from Peter, look on us. 
Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of now rise up and and he reaches down and takes the man by the hand and lifts him and the Bible tells us that this man leaped up on his feet walking and praising God and the Bible tells us he entered into the temple with them where he had never been able to go before where he was always on the outside of it rules are meant to be broken Come on, natural rules will tell you you can't be healed. You can't be delivered. You can't be set free. You can't be changed. But I say there's a God that can step in and turn some situations around no matter what the rules may say. Amen. Amen. There's people in this building right now that are living testimony that rules can be broken. You look at your history and you look at your family and you look at where you came from and where you should be if all the rules applied but somewhere, hallelujah, at the foot of an old rugged cross, you said, I know what it's supposed to be but I'm not going to live that way anymore. I know what my family dealt with. I know what others have gone through but I believe the blood of Jesus Christ can turn my situation around. I know there's addicts in my family. I know there's criminals in my family. I know there's liars in my family but the blood of Jesus Christ can help me to break all the rules what was supposed to be passed down to me that's going to be broken by the blood of Jesus Christ where I wasn't supposed to go I'm going to go by the grace of God where I wasn't given access to by the mighty mercy of my Lord I'm going to have access into things that God has promised me. Here's this man, he goes in <laughs> leaping and praising and it intrigues me. The Old Testament law and expectation about access into the temple, it, it intrigues me and I, I've been talking about it a little bit here. But, but here's the bottom line. Look at your neighbor and say, here's the bottom line. In some situations, access is still a major issue. It's a major issue in our world. Access for some people into certain things, whether it be a career or an education or a social group, whatever you want to call it, access is being denied. And people, the uprising in our world of late seems to be over access. What is granted to one isn't granted to another. And what's For one isn't for the other. Are you hearing me? And so people are, why why can't I? Why can't we? What is going on here in our world and in our lives right now? Acts 2 and verse 40 says this, and with many other words, this is right after that 238 that we so talk about. This is 40, a couple verses later. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Untoward generation. Many years ago I stumbled upon this truth and I I want to share it with you. Untoward comes from a Greek word, skolios. And it means warped. Or winding, almost where you get scoliosis. 
know people that have scoliosis, the twisting and the winding and the bending of the spine. It's where we derive certain words from. But this is untoward comes from the same foundation. And it's in, in figuratively speaking, it means crooked. Save yourself from this crooked generation. Save yourself from this forward generation. Save yourself from this untoward generation. Right after then Peter said unto them, he said, save yourself from the warpness of the day you live in. Save yourself from the no access world you live in where you're not good enough. You, you've been told you can't. You never will. You're not the right color. You don't have enough money. Your degree doesn't give... Are you hearing me? We're living in a world where everything is twisted and it's so messed up, if you will. And he declares just two verses later, after shouting, Repent and be baptized. He said, save yourself. Don't get caught up in all of the crookedness of the world that you're living in. Because their philosophy will be twisted. And their mindset will be warped. And they'll never be able to see it clearly. And so when you look at Vine's expository uh, dictionary, it says crooked, which means curved. It was especially talking about, you know, the verse in Luke where it talks about that uh, every crooked road shall be straightened. Every mountain and every hill shall be made low. You know that verse? It goes on to say every crooked road. Through what? Through the ministry of Jesus Christ. That everything that was crooked, everything that was warped, everything that was not like it was supposed to be, when Jesus shows up, He will proclaim and preach a message that will cause the crooked to be made straight. Hallelujah. When you get Him in your life, it doesn't matter what you've been denied. He will open up a door for you to step into everything... Come up, some rules are meant to be broken. I said some rules are meant to be broken. It's huh. set in this as, a, as, as an opposing thing, if you will, to what is straight. He said, in, as, as the dictionary goes on, metaphorically of what is morally crooked, perverse, people belonging to a particular generation, untoward untoward. Save yourself from the untoward, crippled, warped, twisted generation that you live in. So what others did in their day, we're expected to do in our day. Just because others won their victory 20 years ago, doesn't mean that victory is going to be afforded to you unless you stand up and save yourself from the attack in the world today. That you say, this is a new day. It may be a new day, but it's still crooked and it's still warped. And there's been others that rose above it and said, I'm not going to be held outside of what God has for me. I will break every rule if I have to break every rule and get to where Jesus is. They said, you're too sick. You're too weak. You're too broke. You're on the your last leg. She said, get out of my way. If I can just touch the hem of His garment, I don't care what the rule is. I don't care what the expectation 
expectation is. I don't care how big the crowd is. Let me get to where Jesus is and I know something will happen in my life. She touches the hem of his garment and he said, hey, virtue left my body. Somebody just touched me. You're right. There's a thousand people around you touching you. No, 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 no. Somebody. Not just a bunch of some, someone that was desperate. Someone that decided they'd be a rule breaker. Somebody that decided they wouldn't be held out is going to fight through a crowd and fight through a sickness and fight through confusion and fight through negativity and get to where their healing can be imparted. Some rules are meant to be broken. Tell your neighbors, some rules are meant to be broken. You know what I felt like God said to me to tell you? That we have to overcome the stigma of a fallen generation. There's a stigma on the church right now. And there's a stigma on people right now. And there's a stigma on those who have faith and those who are desperate about things. We need to free ourselves from the stigma of this fallen generation. There is a place that God will meet with us. And it's the place of overcoming all of our debilitating thoughts and all of our out of control emotions and all of our feelings of the past that disqualify us and all of our present inadequacies listen this is the rule you need to break you need to break the rule I told you stay with me you're going to miss the point you need to break the rule that the world put on your mind that you can't have what God said you could have You need to break through the rule that people say there's no such thing as faith. There's no such thing as miracles. There's no such thing as salvation. You come too late to tell me that. I already broke the rule. I've already busted out of that. And I'm walking in salvation. And I'm walking in the miraculous. And I'm walking in the favor of God. Some of the most confusing imprisoning, if you will, things that we face is the prison of our own mind. And what people have perpetrated on us through their conversations and through their advice and through what they have to say. Break the rule and say, I'm not staying chained to that. I'm not, I'm not staying chained to that. I'm not staying outside of what God said I could have. I'm rising above it and moving into the meeting place where there's healing and there's deliverance and there's help for my situation. Shout amen. Come on, shout amen. There is a psychological side to this. There's not just a spiritual side to this. There is a psychological side to this. And the same God that created your mind is the same God that can give you the victory over your mind. Amen. That's why it says... Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. What what mind? What mind? A mind that he thought it not robbery. <laughs> Come on, somebody. You don't want me to preach to you. <laughs> you th- th- there's no way. There's only one. There's no way. There's just the great I am. There's only one. He thought it not robbery. <laughs> He broke the rule. I said, he broke the rule. 
He stepped up and said, hey, wait just a minute. There is help for this untoward generation. There is help for people that lay outside of the temple. There, are, there is help for people who have needs that are not a part of the family. Bring them on in. Bring them on in. Give them access. You know what we have to do? We have to realize that the veil was torn. And access was given. But if we're not careful, we will live under the authority of rules that a crooked world has put on you. You'll always be an addict. You'll always struggle with that sin. You'll always have to deal with that situation. The devil is a liar. I said the devil is a liar. There's a God that said, I'm giving you access into mercy. I'm giving you access into the angelic. I'm giving you access into a place that houses my word and my authority and my provision and my miraculous. Come to that place and I'll give you everything you need. There's some rules that are meant to be broken. If I listen to all the rules in my life, I shouldn't be in a pulpit right now. I shouldn't even be in a church right now. And I know some of you would raise your hand and say, Pastor, I'm right with you. If I had to live by all the rules that were placed, but thank God for His mercy. Thank God for His grace. Thank God somebody stopped by the gate and lifted me up and said, I don't have what you're looking for, but I have what you need, and I'm willing to give it to you. Help us to be the kind of church that's willing to share our deliverance, share our help, share our mercy, share what God has done in our life. Think about it. The same guy that said, I don't have what you're looking for, but I have what you need, is the same guy that within a chapter or two earlier had denied he even knew the Lord. <laughs> had denied that he even knew Him. Had cursed and said, you got the wrong guy. That's the same guy said, I don't have what you're looking for, but I have what you need because I've been right where you are and there is a God that will give you permission to break all the rules because He wants to do something in your life. I, I really feel the Holy Ghost in this place right now. Just stay standing. I want to give you two things and I'm going to be done. Two things I want you to leave here with today. First, the lame man was healed. And second, the lame man that was healed entered into the temple with them. There's something about the community of faith. Huh. They didn't say, you're healed, now figure it out by yourself. Somewhere they said, just come on with us because we're all in this journey together. See, the rules are you weren't supposed to bring people in that didn't have it all together. But they were willing to put their reputation on the line to say, we're not leaving him out here because something has just happened and he's with us. Amen. I just walked in and said, thank you very much like I belong here. Why? Because my family was in there and I belong with them. Amen. Somebody needs to understand that no matter where people come from, they need the church. They need men and women and brothers and sisters that'll join beside them and say, come on with me. Come on with me. Come on with me. You don't have to do this by yourself. You don't have to live this by yourself. You don't have to try to get through this by yourself. There's people that will 
walk with you. So, physical healing, listen, gave him access to a place in God he never thought was possible. Community and fellowship gave him emotional healing. God may perform the physical miracle for people, but He's waiting on His people to perform the emotional miracle by bringing someone into fellowship, by bringing someone into community. Karen, this really could be a book because it just keeps getting deeper and deeper. And you and I might have to write it together. Think about him. His name was Saul. He was the great hater of the church, the persecutor of the church. He was the murderer of those of faith. And he has an encounter. Wives, children, husbands, throughout the land who had buried their spouse and buried their families, heard this man has been converted. He's one of us? Wait, wait a minute. He just killed my husband. He just slaughtered my family. You want me to invite him in? You, you want him? To come to this church? Barnabas shows up. And he says, hey guys, let me tell you. He's different. Something happened to him. So you read it in Acts. You read it. The disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. The reason the disciples were called Christians is because they were faced with having fellowship and communion with their greatest enemy. Antioch is where he showed up to be introduced to the church. They didn't say, you're not welcome here. They were like Christ. And they said, come on in. They were still grieving the loss of their loved ones at that man's hands. And they said, community, fellowship. And he came in. You want people to be helped? Then don't just say God's going to take care of it all. As the church of the living God, help them emotionally heal by letting them eat at your table. By letting them fellowship with your family. By letting them come into your house. Some rules are meant to be broken. And I made my mind up when it comes to people and it comes to souls, I'm going to be a rule breaker every time. Because God's been so good to me I said God's been so good to me if it had not been for His mercy, if it had not been for His love, if it had not been for His grace, I wouldn't even be where I am right now. 
but somehow somebody loved me, somebody invited me, somebody embraced me, and I'm healed today, and I'm whole today, and I'm complete today because of what God did and because of what the church did in my life. I feel the presence of God here. I know it's been a while since I just invited everybody to come, but I'm going to invite everybody to come.